From beach towels to tea towels and from mugs to water bottles, the TNT Shop has it all. Browse our shop now at tntradio.live. We're digging deeper with D.D. Denslow on today's News Talk Radio, TNT. And welcome back to TNT Radio. Uh, you are here on a Sunday edition of Digging Deeper. Uh, you are here with me, D.D. Denslow, and a good show I've got lined up for you today. Uh, first up... Uh, we are going to have a returning guest, and it will be his last appearance for a little while as he focuses on his own work and his own life. Uh, but he has been a faithful servant to Dickin' Deeper over the last uh, year, year and a half, and to TNT General as a regular guest. Uh, I've got my old mucker, uh, my fellow podcasting partner, Rohan Heatley, will be joining me in just a few moments. Uh, we're going to be talking about uh, revolution, war conscription, and what has this all got to do with Starship Troopers? Rohan is a psychologist researcher an amateur historian a gamer and a geek and he's a regular everybody in the live chat uh, knows who Ryan is so uh, I think it's well deserved that he gets a round of applause for his last show for a little while uh, and then uh, at 1 p.m uh, a man who's been on my list of somebody that I've been wanting to talk to I've been trying to reach out for him uh, uh, for over recent months uh, he's finally come on to join me so he'll be at 1 p.m it's David Scott He's a Scottish engineer, entrepreneur, and a journalist at Northern Exposure. And some of you who are listening now may be familiar with David's work uh, as he is a contributor on the UK Column, another uh, Plymouth-based uh, uh, journalism outfit. And funnily enough, he David has a uh, substack. Uh, and guess what his substack is called? Digging deeper, which I thought was very, very interesting. So there's going to be lots of uh, digging deep coming on today's show. Uh, and I'll be talking to him about family law, the Scottish COVID inquiry and uh, eugenics in the NHS. Uh, we are on YouTube. We're on Rumble, we're on Twitter, we're on Facebook. TNT is absolutely everywhere, so you can come and have a look. You can watch us live and see us in the flesh, in person, talking about the news stories that really matter. And I have got a story here. Uh, it will be relevant to the conversation that I'm about to have uh, with Rohan. Uh, and that is the Houthis, uh, the goat herders from Yemen. Yeah, that the American government can't have admitted we can't do anything about these goat herders with our aircraft carrier combat groups. Uh, the Houthis have attacked a British-linked tanker uh, called the Marlin Luanda in the Gulf of Aden. Uh, a tanker with links to the UK was on fire for several hours in the Gulf of Aden after being hit by a missile fired by the Yemeni Houthis. Uh, the round-backed movement based in Yemen, Yemen, they always say around-backed. Always, it's always, every time, around backed, uh, said it targeted the Marlin Luanda on Friday in response to American and British aggression. Probably something to do with all the missiles that were firing over uh, into Yemen. The US and UK have launched airstrikes, there we go, on Houthi targets in response to attacks on ships in the Red Sea region. French, Indian, and US naval ships provided assistance to the vessel. So this uh, uh, coalition to defend prosperity is actually the UK, the US, France and India. Not sure how India got involved there. Uh, US Defense Secretary Michael Green, I mean, 
I mean, uh, Grant Shapps, it's hard to keep up, keeps changing his name, called the attack intolerable and illegal. It is our duty to protect freedom of navigation in the Red Sea, and we remained as committed as ever to that cause, he said on X. Uh, the operator of Marlin Luanda is registered as being Oceanix Service Limited, a UK-registered company. And it is worth noting that uh, UK, US, and other shipping that was traveling through the Suez Canal our region, Gulf of Aden, Red Sea, the Med, etc., was being left alone by the Houthis uh, of Ye Yemen. It wasn't until we attacked Yemen that our own shipping became in the uh, crosshairs uh, of these militants, who are apparently incredibly well-armed. I've been looking into them over the last couple of weeks. It's amazing how well-armed uh, the, the Houthis are, Hezbollah, and some of these other Middle Eastern militant groups, or freedom fighters, depending on which side you are on. Uh, they are armed to the teeth. So days of us just rolling over a bunch of goat herders or cave dwellers seems to be over. And I expect we will see more attacks are on UK registered and US registered shipping in the Middle East as we can hear the drums that are beating away, the drums of war. They are growing louder and soon, I think, in 2024 and 2025, they are going to reach a crescendo uh, as we can see by the propaganda that has started here in the West with regards to conscription and for young people to come and fight for their countries. And this is something that I will be discussing with Rohan. Uh, Rohan, how are you, my friend? Uh, glad to have you on the show. It's going to be a last for a little while. I didn't want to make too much of a fuss about it. Um, but, you know, you've got some stuff that you need to concentrate on. Uh, and as always, uh, I'm very appreciative uh, of you coming on, being one of the most insightful guests and people that I get to talk to. Uh, what do you make of the Houthi story uh, and the world generally seeming to be going up in flames, my friend? Uh, it's always a pleasure to be here. Thanks for the introduction. Like, yeah, uh, the the world does seem to be inching towards war. I think uh, a lot of my amateur historian things focuses on wars of history and and what leads to them, the the diplomatic tensions, and with all of this uh, talk of conscription, I think we are definitely in the run up to NATO going into some sort of conflict with with, with Russia. That the stages are being set across the world for for multiple theaters of war. I think like for a very long time, China has been looking at Taiwan. And, and I think that the, the way things are being spread right now, if, if I was in, involved in the tactics of this, I mean, if China attacks Taiwan, you're going to force the attention of America. And while America is distracted with Taiwan, it means that they can't support Europe if Russia is to fully spearhead in. And let's be real, a lot of NATO's power comes from the American military. I mean, uh, that's, that's not to say that the British uh, military isn't amazing. It's just not huge. I mean, a, a lot of our power comes from our Trident submarines, our nuclear power. Uh, and we really do not want to use that in a conflict, although that, that might be what they're trying to drive us towards. And then we've also got the Middle Eastern Front. We've got what's going on in Israel. We've got the increasing tensions in Yemen. We've got Iran firing rockets like at, at every target that seems to annoy them. So we, we're definitely in a situation where the whole world seems to be ready to erupt like a powder keg. Yeah, I mean, you mentioned the, you know, the capabilities of the US and UK military forces. Um, 
it's it's quite apparent. I, I shared a video on social media yesterday, and it, and it just uh, demonstrated in numbers uh, the difference between the UK military force and the Russian military force. For example, Russia has about 14,000 battle-ready tanks and armor, uh, plus a load of artillery, etc., and mobile guns, uh, howitzers that could be added on top of that. The UK, about 250 tanks. Uh, and right now, uh, we've got Grant Shapps, Boris Johnson, uh, other political figures, the, the head of the UK army, coming out and sounding off saying, we're going to have to start conscripting young people here in the UK in prep for war with Russia. Germany are saying the same. This morning, I saw an article uh, from our friends in Australia. They're saying the same. The Scandinavian countries. Do you think that this is just uh, fear tactics uh, and some sort of psychological operation against the public to distract against other issues like the pandemic treaty or maybe uh, excess deaths? Um, or do you really think that we are hurtling headlong with a deliberate intention of going to war against Russia, as the media will have us believe. Uh, yeah, again, from, from what I see in history, if you look at the sort of situations leading up to the First World War, you know, the tensions between the sort of German Empire, French Empire, British Empire, we have a very similar situation going on right now where any one of these conflicts could erupt. You know, like, yeah, if China decides to go after Taiwan, which is looking like they might have to for their own internal stability, Xi is not exactly, you know, incredibly popular given that he's you know, declared himself the eternal sort of dictator like Mao and this, the situation in the Middle East is always volatile you know like it with the recent uh, Israel sort of throwing oil on the fire and and yeah this this Russia situation just will not go to bed they were hoping that pumping huge amounts of resources into Ukraine would lead to some sort of victory or at least Russia you know going to the peace table on on our terms but uh, given our unwillingness to join the table on their terms it, it, it conflict seems inevitable it could just be posturing, though. I don't know if the the build-up for war is necessarily a distraction, but I think it, it's definitely the West telling Russia, telling China that if they do want to start something, you know, we're going to, you know, unleash everything we have to the point of conscripting citizens up to the age of, I, I believe, it's sixty in some countries. They're saying they'll find some use for you in the military. Uh, so I think we we all need to be very concerned with what's going on here. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I sit here, I'm quite, I'm quite a fit 46, nearly 46 year old man. Under normal circumstances, I would never have to worry about going off to fight an enemy in a far off land. Here, here's your, here's your machine gun. Off you go. Go and kill some Rus Ruskies. I've never had to worry about that. Hopefully I never will. At the moment, if you're 18 to 36 years old in the UK, there's a highly good, you know, there's a really high chance that in a wartime situation, direct conflict with Russia, you're going to be conscripted. Maybe by force if you pay attention to what's happened in Ukraine, particularly uh, as I, I did a poll and had 16,500 votes, uh, a Twitter poll, and, and about 88% of the votes said that they would never, ever fight in a war for the government that we have at the moment. Uh, and I'm like, well, I'm sure they're saying that in Ukraine. And now we see barracks full of 50, 55, 60-year-old men who I'm sure do not want to go into a conflict zone. 
do you think that they are going to really push ahead with uh, conscription here in the West, here in the UK? Let's just keep it close to home. Uh, and, you know, what sort of problems is that going to cause on the streets of the UK uh, as people try to, to refuse being fought to force to fight? As I see it, they, they really do not have the political capital for this type of move. You know, after after COVID, after sort of the, the disgruntlement of, of tax money being bled away for these wars, like the public is is really not happy with the government anywhere, as, as the poll indicates. And a lot of these immigrants that, that the government think will be their servants and slaves in whatever they want, you know, they're also saying that they don't wish to fight for the government either. So when it comes to willing soldiers, I, I, I don't think there's there's anyone around. And if they were to push for forced conscription, you'd be more likely to trigger some sort of civil conflict. You know, I, I wouldn't be surprised if civil war would happen in the UK if they tried to send the police out to arrest everyone and, and put them in the barracks. I, I think it's we, we we're far more likely to face like wide scale destabilization in the West if such a thing would occur, which just hands the victory to, to, to Russia. I think that, that Putin is in a very powerful sort of negotiating position right now. Very powerful. Uh, I mean, he's clearly one in Ukraine. Uh, they are running out of men. And I do remember Zelensky warning us. Uh, I think it was in a CNN interview, or maybe he was he, he was in um, the, 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 the lower house in America, in Congress. I think he was saying, when we run out of Ukrainian soldiers, it's going to be American and British and European soldiers that are going to have to pick up the mantle and carry on and take the fight to Putin. Uh, it looks like we are heading in that direction right now. Uh, Sunak has come out and said, oh, we're definitely not doing it. We're in an election season. Uh, do you think that the left, who are likely to take the reins in the UK, are even more likely to continue with the war narrative uh, and push for fight with uh, Russia and China? Well, given the the flip that I've seen in the left, I mean, like back in my day, you know, I was marching in in London against the Iraq War, and and the left was very much the you know the the, the place to be for make tea, not war. But mm -hmm. but since then, the the left seems to be increasingly rabid, and when it comes to targets like Russia. Or you know, depending on you know which group of left you know, people you're with, you know, Israel, like people are willing to unleash whatever is necessary to destroy them. And you know, let's not forget that Soviet Russia was ideologically left, but wasn't exactly uh, shy about like fighting its enemies. So we 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 are in a situation where the the, the left is riled up. They're, no, they're not as anti-war as they used to be. They will support these types of initiatives. So I do not think that you can expect a left-wing government to not go to war. I think we're in a full sort of neocon, neolib domination of the uni party everywhere. And both sides want war because war is good for business. And these people are in, invested in, in all of the sort of machinations that are involved and, the, and will make a, a huge amount of money. So uh, if, if Keir Starmer gets in, I think war is still on the menu. Yeah, and it's uh, it's not just really good at making and generating money, particularly for the richest of our society, the billionaire class, uh, but it's also really, really good at killing all the young people, uh, particularly young men, and therefore we put like a fire break in the population because we're killing all the young breeders 
and we don't have a strong group of men to push back against the tyranny uh, of our government. And I suspect that's one of the reasons why we go to war. Profit to reduce the number of babies being born and to reduce any physical resistance that you may have in your population for more sinister stuff that the government may plan. Okay, we're going to a break now, Rohan. Uh, and when we come back, uh, you've already mentioned the word civil war. Uh, we see that there are problems here in Europe. Uh, in fact, right across Europe and the UK with the farmers and with immigration. And we're seeing it in Texas. It looks like Texas, who potentially could succeed from the USA, now trying to defend its own borders, but against the wishes of the federal government there in America. So please, uh, we're just going to a break. Come right back here on TNT Radio. TNT's Steve Malzberg. If a president could be prosecuted for things he did, which he believed and was advised by his lawyers, what, what was was the duty of the president to do, and then after the fact, after he's president, he could be prosecuted. The example has come up today many times. Well, when Joe Biden leaves office, he could be prosecuted for not securing the border. Barack Obama um, okayed drone strikes against American citizens overseas. He could be prosecuted for murder. I mean, this opens up a whole can of worms. Um, Pandora's box, I think, is the term that uh, that Trump used. Steve Malzberg on today's News Talk TNT. God's truth is enduringly true throughout all the generations. It transcends culture. The church is always going to be an embattled people. If it's swimming with the tide, it's not being the church of Jesus Christ. Look to the past, learn from the past, because the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. China has more than 200 confirmed cases of coronavirus, it's called. The entire state of California ordered to stay at home. That's 40 California has some of the strictest policies leveled against churches. Gavin Newsom's executive order threatens jail time and a $1,000 a day fine. Government that stopping people from going to church, Dr. Fauci. When I went into the White House, when I sat in on the task force meetings, was a shocking level of gross incompetence. The mortality rate from the virus was 0.2%, you know, 99.8% survival, rather than the 3 or 4% mortality that the, the people were saying at the time. The culture and the understanding of the people of Grace Church has always been, not only do you obey government, but you honor government. Thousands of people in the streets, but you can't have church. The hypocrisy of letting people riot it helped us all understand one thing. This is not what they say it is. By meeting, we're testifying the government has no jurisdiction here. I was arrested and driven to a maximum security prison. The government has obviously uh, turned up the heat on churches. My daddy. <laughs> when the churches fall silent, the only religion left is the state. We needed to make a biblical statement because we always put ourselves under the authority of the Word of God. LA County threatened Pastor John MacArthur with jail time and arrest. We were going to be sued. They wanted Grace Church shut down. We wanted to go on the offensive and attack the health order as unconstitutional. This wasn't about health and safety. This was all about control and opposition to religious freedom. 
As the government gets more corrupt and more corrupt, snitches get rewards. Its totalitarian control has to increase. And you have to have a mask on. And as they shut down any attacks against them, this is not about freedom or personal choice. The last thing standing is going to be the church. We don't rock, rock. we talk. talk. Today's News Talk, TNT Radio. And welcome back to TNT. You're here with me, Didi Denzo, on a Sunday episode of Digging Tika. I'm talking to uh, Rohan. Uh, we was just talking about the potential for a large-scale conflict, lots of stories in the newspapers, particularly here in the UK, about conscription. But actually, maybe we should consider that the world not only is in international war between nations, but actually internally, there seems to be a growing and brewing uh, 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 civil unrest, social unrest, and discontent. And we're seeing it with the farmers across Europe, Germany, France, Italy, Polish, Scottish, Welsh, but not the English yet. Farmers are all now protesting en masse. Is this the beginning of the revolution uh, that I've been screaming for, for for years now on social media, shouting into the wind? Are we now finally seeing uh, the, the big boys amongst the peasants, the farmers, uh, trying to stand up, not just for their own rights, but for the rights of their country and their, uh, their communities? Yeah, the, the the conflict that's uh, always existed uh, throughout history is that between the sort of the city dwellers and and those in the country, the rural city divide, and in, in increasingly in recent years, I think a lot of it because of the political polarization, we've seen these these sides drift apart more and more with sort of like the country going increasingly to the to the right and the, and the cities going increasingly to the, to the left to the point where dialogue has sort of broken down and become incre- completely impossible, and and the farmers are in. In this untenable situation where the government isn't supporting them. But I, I don't think the government sh- should. I think that the, the bigger problem is that the supermarkets have formed like a sort of a monopoly and they and they don't pay them the adequate amount for their product, you know, because I'm, I'm all about small government. I just think they should be paid what they are owed for their work. You know, we don't need the government to subsidize these industries. We just need to, to pay them appropriately. And, and this is creating, you know, obviously with, with all these protests going on, the, the, the working class is in a a, a kind of a secession of the plebs type situation where people are just going to refuse to work. Like if, if, if everyone just leaves the cities, you know, and we start having like big barbecue parties in the countryside, I mean, what what's the government really going to do to stop us? It's like they need us far more than we need them. Uh, and the government is uh, hopefully beginning to learn this lesson. Yeah, I mean, you mentioned the secession of the plebs. Maybe you could just sort of get outline that to those who are listening who aren't aware of what happened in Roman times with regards to the secession of the plebs and how the public there in those days, or at least how the, the myth and the story goes, withdrew their consent and made the elites that ruled over them powerless. Uh, explain. Yeah. Right? Yeah, as you say, consent, it is one of those kind of old school consent of the government kind of principles from the old republic, where if if a city was disgruntled enough with its leadership, they would simply all leave. They'd all they'd all go on on strike on holiday on mass, and and all you'd be left with is these you know few, few robed elites in their their massive compounds with no one to do any work, 
and and uh, all it would take is a, is a few days of of no one cooking their food and cleaning up after them and and they'd be ready to go to the negotiating table you know it's like take away their creature comforts i think one of the greatest tricks that the government has played on people is that we believe that we are we're so small and insignificant and we can't fight back you know a lot of this is due to you know, sort of taking away people's guns and things it's why i support the second amendment i mean people will be like oh you don't you know that we can't fight the military if they were to, to to come up against us but the point is being a deterrent you know we want we want the government to think twice before it messes with the people because the government should be scared of the people not the other way around and and i think that a secession of the plebs has kind of been going on for for a long time now and ever since the fallout of covid particularly in the uk uh-huh. there's been strikes in almost every single public industry and mm-hmm. all it takes is for all of them to happen at once and and there and we're there you know we we we're effectively at a point where it's a what i would like to call a soft civil war right like a, a bloodless civil war where everyone just stops and and we let the you know pretty soon the politicians aren't going to be able to sustain themselves it wouldn't take much i mean you're talking what a, a general strike if there was a one week general strike in this country it would bring the system crashing down to a halt uh, we would very, very quickly find that the political class would start coming to the public asking questions and saying, what can we do for you to get you back into the system and working again? And another way, uh, uh, and we could talk about whether these would be self-defeating uh, behaviours or actions in a sec, but another way would be to stop paying tax. Uh, I, I, I'm a firm believer now that actually maybe withdrawing or withholding my council tax until I start getting the services that I'm told I get for the council tax, which I don't. I just see it going into four-star hotels, putting up a load of legal immigrants that have just entered the, the, the country illegally, rather than getting my bins emptied and the potholes filled and all the other services that I am told I get for my council tax. And that's on top of all the other taxes that we have to pay. Uh, and I'm a firm believer that taxation is theft to a point. It's the sum taxation is necessary. Could these types of actions, general strike for one week, everybody suddenly withheld their taxes for a month, could they be self-defeating? Very much in the same way as like the farmers striking as they are in Germany and have been for a couple of weeks now. No food, they're not producing any food. And everyone's going, oh, we need the farmers. They're trying to take, you know, they're going to starve us. You know, it's one of the sort of conspiracies or narratives that you will find on social media. And at the same time, we're supporting the farmers for not producing food. Yeah. Are we falling into a trap is what I'm suggesting, Rohan. Yeah, there, there is the catch-22 right now. There is the problem with the general strike is that, you know, we can't have systems like, you know, hospitals, firefighters, like things like that, not but not being in action the death toll would be would be horrendous and if farmers aren't producing food that is ultimately a massive downside it's trying to walk that middle ground of what a secession of the plebs truly means is not interacting with the elites like withdrawing yourself from the government from the elites but still doing your thing you know the farmers should still grow food they should still produce but only for them only mm-hmm. for the people who are like part of their club who are on their side right like you know i talk a lot about avoiding tribalism but this is a time when we need to be tribalistic we need to divide it into us versus them and we need to cut them off 
but keep all of the system running somehow. I mean, it's in many ways, it's kind of the anarcho-capitalist dream, right? Like we don't actually need government. We can all just get along with everything ourselves, which to a large degree is true, you know, but someone ultimately has to keep the legal system running. Otherwise, everything falls apart. Uh, but I think that's largely the only thing that government should really be responsible for. And, and But what we're seeing now is that people are obviously, you know, they're, they're striking, they're removing themselves, but then they're not being productive, as you say. So we, we need to start, you know, it, almost forming a kind of a, a parallel system separate from the government. And for that purpose, I think that like not paying our tax and stuff is, is the best way to go in a protest because it is, mm -hmm. you know, it, as an individual action, it's easy for the police to go after you. But if, mm -hmm. if every single person across the country, or at least the vast majority, stop paying taxes, you do, you do not have the legal or police resources to, to stop them. Uh, and it comes a point where, yeah, the people do force the government to the table, force them to pay attention. I, I've always believed that one of the, the greatest voting powers we have and why they constantly want to take away our cash and our personal property, it's money, you know, voting with your wallet. Right. Like if they don't have resources, they will have to come to the table. There is no option. Uh -huh. So uh, and also it's the way that that doesn't screw us over and doesn't get us hurt. Yep. And the French, they are doing exactly that at the moment. Uh, Rohan, the French are really, really good at protesting. I don't like very much about the French. I was brought up to not hate them, but just to regard them as people who ran away with a white flag. That's how I was brought up to think about the French. But what they're really, really good at is protesting. Uh, they are really good at demanding and trying to defend their rights by getting out into the streets. We have the French Revolution, obviously, off of their heads that you were singing back then. And we're now seeing it in France at the moment with the Tractors uh, uh, blockading Paris. Uh, there are videos out there that show them digging up the roads, the main roads. I think one was the A12. It's like the main road in France. They're digging that up. They're effectively blockading the whole city, and they're all sitting there laughing, you know, chewing on some garlic, uh, saying, "Oh, in Paris, they've got three days' worth of food." And actually, that's just going to be the same for every major city. Again, people are cheering this on. But at the same time, they might be starving themselves in Paris by cheering this on. Um, do you support these French actions? Do you think blockading the cities is as far as we can go as in terms of violence? Or is there plenty of room left for other options that we could take against our governments? Yeah, I think we, we definitely don't want to go much further into the to the violent territory. I think blockading things and sort of civil property destruction is is, is maybe where we we should draw the line there. But I, I think it's it's the problem is that the there's this old saying go you, you can't make an omelet without breaking a few eggs. Uh, and we're in this situation where no no revolution, no civil action is going to be harmless is going to be nice and easy right like uh, in fact very often it's, it's it's incredibly hard to make them bloodless i mean that that what i'm concerned with right now is whatever revolution happens is is one that is more of a kind of a, a peaceful action of force right that, that, that where we stay with the protest we stay with civil disobedience and not paying taxes and mm -hmm. you know taking your money out the banks i saw that they're they're monitoring for bank run potential activity online now because they're scared that people might figure out that that money is the key to all of this because uh, we're in this situation where they if we if we start fighting it gives them everything they want 
if we, and it's what people are talking about when it comes to you know, the situation going on in America right now. It's like, don't give them another January 6th by, by showing up to these things with violent intentions. You know, like all, if, if one of these French sort of protests went violent, you know, they, they get all the justifications they need to go jackboot and start hammering mm -hmm. down on it. And you'll have mm -hmm. Klaus Schwab talking about how we need the police state at the next WEF. So, you know, don't, don't fall into that pattern. But at the same time, don't back down. Keep the force up. Just keep it yeah. as peaceful as possible. And the way that we can present that force is through numbers and unity. And, you know, I, I, I've talked about, oh, we need to start organizing some protests like we uh, had in 2021. If they see a million people uh, in the streets and we're outside Parliament shouting Sunak's name, maybe, just maybe that pressure will um, uh, will materialize in something positive uh, for the public. We don't need violence. If we have a million people, yeah, that in itself, uh, and they're organized, a million organized people with the same message, that in itself presents a threat that would be very, very difficult for the establishment uh, to resist. Now, you mentioned America, similar problems, similar problems going on in America, particularly with Texas. Uh, I've had Daniel Miller on uh, from the Texit campaign. I think it's actually gaining real momentum now with the open borders uh, in the South, with quarter of a million immigrants uh, enough to fill my city Plymouth up uh, every single month coming in through and into Texas. Uh, Biden has told them to take down uh, the razor wire which they are using to help secure their border. Are we seeing a similar situation in the USA where the public and individual states are now putting their finger up to Biden saying we are now we want to be independent we want to protect our own community and could this potentially lead to Texas leaving the USA but also the fragmentation of that entire country the, the United States and civil war there I say it yeah, I, th I think though, from one looking at this situation, normally the meme is you know Texas seceding from the union uh, and all these things. But in in this particular case, it, it's Texas trying to hold the United States to its to its core foundational principles. Like literally, Article Four of the Constitution, you know, stating like which is where the the states secede that they secede their power to the federal government. Right. And and the problem is, though, there is one clause at the end of that that says, except in the case of invasion. So so the, the, the Texas's argument is, you know, we're being invaded and you're not protecting the border. And, and it, it you know, is beholden on you part of this agreement that we have signed. So if you're not going to defend the border, we, we've declared it's invasion. We have the right to defend the border. You don't have that anymore. And and it's it it is a a difficult legal issue because like is popping up so much in America right now. You know we're having to ask legal questions that haven't been asked for you know the entire existence of the Constitution almost. You know what is what is an invasion? You know it's never been properly legally defined. And I think that most laymen's would probably agree that the the rate of immigration going on in Texas, particularly recently, does qualify as an invasion. And, and if, if, if Texas can, you know, sort of win that argument that this invasion, they have complete authority by the law of the land, the law of the United States, not, not of any Texas constitution, to defend their border. 
And I think it, it's kind of more important than splitting away here because like the, Texas leaving the union is, is, isn't really going to solve anything. I, I don't think of like, like you don't want to balkanize America and have all the states split off because, uh, you know, some states will just wither and die. They, they don't have that. You'll end up with like California and Texas just hoovering up everything and, and you'll end up with two big sort of groups like hammering against each other. Like Instead, you want to hold the states to account, hold them to their principles, which is, you know, what, what happened with uh, a lot of the sort of the freeing of the slaves and stuff. It was just like, hang on, this document says that everyone's created equal. Is that true? Uh, and Texas is just simply saying, hang on, this document says that we give you the right to defend our border unless we're invaded and we're being invaded. So, you know, we, it, it's all become this giant cluster. And I, I think that the problem is I see a lot of people swarming over there where I, where I said try to avoid a January 6th moment is we don't need gun-toting vigilantes defending the Texas border, right? Like, like don't do that. That will be the worst optics and it will ruin everything, right? But standing in solidarity, you know, like that's that's always good. Just 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 don't cause any trouble because like you can guarantee the media right now is going to be planting all kind of agent provocateurs, all kinds of sort of false flaggy type stuff, so that they can discredit this in the same way that they did with the trucker protest, same way that they did with J6. It's like they, you know, you've seen that the, the Fed, the Patriot Front type movements every now and then, you have all of these men marching somewhere in America, all masked, all with American flags, all almost exactly the same height, all like with regulation army boots, like all underweight, you know, like that's the real question that you can tell that it's a fed plan where not a single person is overweight. That's when you know that they are, they are feds guaranteed. And no like big beers or anything like that. Not that I'm saying, you know, the rednecks of the USA come from Texas. They're overweight with big Mm. beards, but you would expect a couple of them uh, within the group. Uh, Yeah. The situation on the American Southern border is it's insane. Uh, I can't. Re- you can't really describe it uh, any other way. There are apparently uh, Chinese staging posts all the way up through Central and from parts of South America, but also uh, a Hebrew immigration aid service. Can't remember the exact name of the organization, um, but they are also heavily involved in ferrying and organizing uh, immigration, illegal immigration into the USA through the southern border. Uh, Very, very interesting. Okay, we're coming to a break now, Rohan. We're going to try and mix all this together now. Civil war, immigration, uh, and the conscription narrative that we're seeing in the West. How does that all fit together? Starship troopers, stay with us here on TNT Radio. Hi. I'm your retirement fear, but don't be scared. You're still in pre-tirement. Pre-tirement? Does that mean I have more time to plan? Precisely. Here, this is pretirement.org. Retirement savings options? (laughs) Potential tax breaks? Yep. Oh, I could build up savings for my side hustle. This isn't scary. I'm doing it. You got this. Visit thisispretirement.org for free resources to help you customize your action plan.
even the mighty might not see it coming. It's prediabetes, and it captures one in three adults. You may not even know you have it, but you can escape. Take the one-minute prediabetes risk test to know where you stand. With early diagnosis, you can change the outcome and prevent or delay type 2 diabetes. Be your own hero on smartphones everywhere at doihaveprediabetes.org. Instead of a shovel and pick to dig deeper, Darren Denslow has his iMac G3 and rusty magnifying glass so he can dig deeper for the real story. This is Digging Deeper with D.D. Denslow on today's News Talk TNT Radio. Uh, welcome back to Digging Deeper. I'm here with Rohan, which might be actually his last sort of 10, 15 minutes with me on Digging Deeper for a few months while he concentrates on his own work. And I thought there would be nothing better to talk about than Starship Troopers. But before we go to that, you've got a few moments just to think about. Big shout out to everybody in the live chat, to Blodders, Skippy, Lisa, Heather. I know Mazzy is somewhere there in the background. Oh, we've got some some dude here called drumstick yeah but he's agreeing with what we're saying in fact we've got a lot of commentary in here and one of them that um i think was from lisa going from memory uh said that you can't have a revolution you can't have a bloodless revolution uh, and i'm sure you probably have some quick comments on that about how we need to water the trees of democracy with bloods of tyrants uh rohan yeah, the, the old Thomas Jefferson thing, the, the blood of uh, tyrants and patriots does need to, to water the tree of liberty from time to time. That's why I say that you need to keep it to a minimum. But I, I mean, I'm a realist. It's like uh, you're going to have some blood. There's going to be some some people in jail, like lives will be ruined in, in the course of you know, creating a better future. I mean, you look at the American Revolution, like when they signed that document, they were effectively, as far as they knew, signing their own death warrant. I mean, they were about to go up against the the, the greatest empire the world has never known. Like they, as far as they were concerned, like a boat was just going to show up and hang them in like six months time. But somehow they managed to prevail. And, and that is the thing with every revolution. You just hope that things are kept to a minimum and, and that the whatever things that you, you get in place are endearing and aren't just immediately flipped over, like with the case of, you know, the French Revolution just ending up with Napoleon immediately. Yeah, that's the thing. We could we could jump out of the fire uh, uh, or out of the firing pan and straight into the fire with some of uh, the, the narratives and thinking that I see personally on social media. People generally do have a revolutionary spirit out there uh, and people are really, really unhappy in the direction that we all seem to be heading in in the West. Now, Starship Troopers, uh, Rohan, what's that got to do with anything? That's a sci-fi about a bunch of meatheads that go off to a far-off planet full of insects and get absolutely slaughtered by the insects. But actually, if you dig into the storyline, you realize there are some very, very interesting parallels to what where we are right now with the war narrative, with the conscription narrative, and with a huge number of basically redundant individuals that have come off from far off lands and come in illegally. And we saw it in a news article in Germany in which they suggested, hey, what we could do is in exchange for citizenship in which you will get the rights 
of everybody who's born in that country, let's just say Germany, USA, UK, in return for military service. So you go and fight our wars, lose a leg or two, uh, and then when you come back, you can access the NHS for free like everybody else. Um, this has been a genuine story. I've seen it in the USA. I've seen it in Germany. Uh, I think it was even suggested here in the UK. Do you think that's a direction that we might take? We've got all these illegals. What can we do with all these new arrivals? I know we'll put them in the armed forces and give them the reward of citizenship so they can go from being a legal resident um, all the way up to sort of a bona fide resident that can work for the government uh, and, and, and take part into society like everybody else. Do you think that they will do this? And what are the risks? I think that like like a lot of things, this is a, an ancient principle that, that has been around for for a long time, at least since like the you know, the Roman Empire had sort of like legions of uh, sort of foreigners who their service to the emperor empire would mean that their children would be considered full Roman citizens. And I think that Heinlein, when he when he wrote Starship Troopers, is is obviously quite a fan of the sort of old Roman Republic and Empire way of doing things and and being a citizen meaning something. Uh, but when, you, when you're talking about Starship Troopers, is there's always the, the two different worlds between the book and the film, because obviously the film being made by Paul Verhoeven is, uh, he, he saw the book as, uh, he viewed it very negatively. Uh, and the film is, is, is kind of a, a, a satire of the book because he saw it as being some sort of fascist power fantasy. And he focuses a lot on the, the military service aspect of it. Whereas uh, the, the, the book is far more, it's service to the government in general. Yeah. You know, it's this idea that, that that no one can fully participate in society unless they have contributed it, to it to some degree. They have some sort of skin in the game, and and I think we are definitely leading towards that that situation as a as a way to solve our, our immigration or particularly illegal immigration problem. Because you know, the Romans were pretty smart. It's a good way to integrate people into Pax Romana. You force them to fight for your country, to bleed for it. And then they, they, they get the right to, to, to have all the, the full citizenship. Because I do think that the problem we're having right now is that obviously legal immigrants you know, they, they go through so many hoops and so much effort to get to the countries that they want to go. You know, they're great citizens. A lot of the times you look at, you know, statistic-wise, like legal immigrants tend to outperform the natives. Of course. It's, the, it's these illegal ones that are the problem. It's the, uh, uh, you know, we, we, we're, we're creating all of these solutions to a problem which shouldn't exist in the first place if we actually enforce the law as it should be. And and now we're, we're trying to mop up this situation by sending all of them to war because we, we don't have enough for five-star hotels to, to, to set them up in and we've got a lot of enemies baying at our heels with sort of Russia and China but I, I think that they're going to be very surprised when we try to send all of these conscripts over and, and when we show up to pick them up to take them for training they're all gone you know, I think that, that we'll see an exodus is that you really want to solve the illegal immigration problem start conscripting them and they'll vanish instantly. And then, you know, then we'll be left holding the bag. If, if, if this is the answer to our problems, I think they, they, they might want to reconsider because these, these people are not going to make good soldiers. Uh, they're going to make absolutely terrible soldiers. And I can't think of anything worse than a, a bunch of Eritreans being sent off to fight an invading Russian force uh, because they don't have skin in the game. It would be better to make them citizenships and give them all the rights of everybody else 
first, then stick them in the army and send them off, because then at least they're fighting for something. Uh, but there's a flip side to this, because there's been a common narrative with regards to uh, illegal immigration, that uh, they are actually a sitting army here in the UK, waiting to be used against the indigenous population. Uh, and I've always got, no, they can't be UN army coming in on boats and through airports and through tunnels. Uh, they're just, they're just replacements, replacement breeders. But actually, if we stick them in our own army, then we can give them all sorts of powers and rights and use them against the sitting population. Uh, do you think that that might be an aim in the future? Send the British army as it is right now, full of nice white faces to go and be chewed up in the Russian meat grinder uh, and then replace them with the people in the hotel, the hotel people and the boat people uh, and use them against the sitting population. Do you think that could be something that's going to yeah, happen in the future? Yeah, I, I definitely think that, we're, that the elites, I mean, they, they are very naive and, and actually quite quite stupid. I mean, a lot of the times when people are worried about Klaus Schwab and all of these people, I, I try to remind them that these people aren't that intelligent. Their arrogance mm -hmm. blinds them. And, and and they're they're getting these elites in these immigrants in. It's kind of a, a situation similar to the rich person and Bane in that in that Dark Knight Rises film, where where he's like, oh, but I, I paid you all this money, and Bane just puts his hand on his shoulder and says, you think that gives you power over me? And and that's the situation here. The elites are flooding these immigrants in because they think they have power over them. They think these people will vote exactly how they want, do exactly what they want, and even fight and die for them if they want. But the reality is, as soon as they come to pull that trigger, pull that lever, whatever, these people will vanish. They they are not the the the, the servants that they, they these elites think they are. These are, these people are not slaves, and and it really is this kind of reverse colonialization that's going on now. Like rather than the empire going out and building plantations in these countries, they're 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 importing all of the slave labor over here to do all the menial tasks and you know as they hope to fight in their army but these these people will not do what they think they will do and the elites uh, are quickly realizing i think with their recent sort of wef rebuilding trust situation at davos is all of their plans have failed and everything that they think that people were going to do they're not doing i think that as far as the elites are concerned they they think the world should have been on fire like three years ago and they mocked yeah. it up with their police force and they're just in their their nice utopian world already that was their plan that's that's why they antagonized us so much the fact that we just keep not doing anything and plodding along and living our lives is the most infuriating thing to them you know mm -hmm. and and we're in a situation where I think they are beginning to realize that even the immigrants aren't the answer and, and they, they don't know. It's like they're stuck in this thing with a kid where they've, they've, they've lied so many times, they've gone down this path, they're just stuck and they, have, they genuinely have no idea where to turn at this point because they've sabotaged their relationship with the, the sitting population, like the, the, the natural population, and, and the immigrants don't support them either. So I think the, the elites are kind of, that's why they're all retreating to their bunkers because they yeah. think that they're, they're about to get guillotined. Yeah, they probably do think they're about to get guillotined. And all those bunkers, a lot of them, I know that Mark Zuckerberg's huge Hawaiian bunker and ranch is going to be finished in 2024. Many other billionaires have their ranch, their, their bunkers all set up, uh, ready to be uh, accommodated uh, in case of, I don't know, civil unrest or war. Are we finding ourselves in a situation, and I agree with everything that you say, I think the public are winning. 
I also think that the immigrants are victims just like everybody else here in the UK or the USA. I know we have some element of disagreement there, but uh, I, 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 I just see them as, as slaves being brought in. They might be our replacements, but they're not going to get treated any better. They'll probably get treated worse. That's why they're being brought in. Do you think that the elite... And we saw it in the World Economic Forum this year in Davos, where war was a really hot topic. A lot of warmongers got given the stage. Are the elite like, we've lost. We don't like this game anymore. And they're about to just wipe it all off the table by taking us to conflict because that's all they have left. Yeah, it, it, it's it's a real almost pathetic thing of, of fear of failure, right? Like they're, they're so afraid of just admitting that they messed up and that their plans were not wrong, that they're literally willing to lead the world into nuclear Armageddon. Uh, and, and that's why that these people truly are insane, because they, all they have to do is say, well, our predictions were wrong that time. And, and, and our things we recommended were wrong. And, and maybe maybe we got COVID a bit wrong. Right. Like this is all they would have to do. Like if any of these politicians stood up and said, hang on, we overreacted. Right. Our agreement with Pfizer may not have been entirely legal. Like we may have pushed these things. We're sorry. Sincerely. Right. Like not the whole B, you know, BP, like we're sorry for spilling oil everywhere type of meme bullshit. Like if they actually tried to repair these bridges, you know, I'm a big believer of the whole repentance, uh, like redemption should be offered to the penitent. Like, but they're not penitent. They just yeah. keep going on with the same mistake, refusing like the, the, the arrogant, egotistical sort of train wreck. And, and this is what's going to happen is that they're, they're going to ride their failure like a bomb all the way to the ground until it explodes. And, and all we have to do is say no and not engage in it. I think historically war has just been used as a way to patch up the mistakes for the elite. But I, I don't think they're going to get away with it this time because they killed patriotism. And you kind of need patriotism to exist if you want to go to war. Because how do you how do you rally the frags? Like it's like uh -huh. if a situation like Pearl Harbor were to occur in America right now, would there be the flag waving? Would there be the the people scrabbling to sign up to war? I I don't think you can even false flag people into the military anymore. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I don't know how they're going to resolve that. And again, I did a poll. It's one of the biggest polls I've ever had uh, run on Twitter. I've run many, many, many polls, but not many have got 16,000 uh, plus votes before 88% saying they wouldn't fight for their country. This is Great Britain. That actual result is not the Great Britain I know. That has changed in the last five to 10 years. And if you ran it 10, 15 years ago, it would have been the other way around. You would have had 88% saying, I'll happily go and fight for my country and die for my country and protect my communities but now there's nothing worth left really fighting for nothing british like they used to be and until we regain that back there's no way they're going to be able to send the indigenous population to war not unless they force them by grabbing them off the streets sticking them in uniform giving them a gun and then saying there's a minefield you either walk across it or we shoot you which is what's happening in ukraine so i think in some respects it's very very sad for me to really push an anti-war narrative or an anti-british narrative but when I look on social media, I see it absolutely everywhere. Is there any way that this country can come back from that? 
Well, I mean, it, I'm a big fan of analogies, and we are in that Lord of the Rings situation where it's like we're Gondor right now, you know, with a country without a king that's broken and has an unworthy steward. And what we really need is the return of the king, right? We need a leader that can actually make us proud to be British and proud of our country. That's what we're all crying out for, something just to make us proud of who we are. Rohan, uh, brilliant conversation. Always enjoy having you on. Uh, you've been an amazing guest as well over the last two years. Uh, you're not going to be gone away that long. Maybe I'll utilise you a bit too much, but uh, brilliant. Thanks ever so much, and uh, I shall speak to you very soon. Uh, stay with us here on TNT. David Scott coming up just in a few minutes. Uh, so we'll be right back after this break. <laughs>